Welcome. It is Thursday, Deck One. I'm Dan Nathan. That's Liz Young. This is Market <laughs> Call. It's MRKT Call. It is brought to you by SoFi. This is Get Your Money Right All in One App. Isn't that what you guys say there, Liz? Do we do. We, we do. say it all the time. We even we're abbreviate it. We we're doing it all in one app. So thanks to SoFi for sponsoring this. And we're obviously brought to you by Backset, financial data and analytics powered by tomorrow. And here's the thing. Guy is not here, Liz. It's just you and me. And I think we'll probably keep it on the rails. Um, I know that on days <laughs> that I am not here, it's just you and him, you guys often. Yeah, we, we veer, we veer off course slightly. It's like, you know, come for the laugh, stay for a few insights. Yeah. Well, <laughs> we're going like to, we're going to go heavy on the insights today. Okay. Because <laughs> you have a great note on the SoFi blog and we're going to hit all that. Of course we have John Butters from FactSet. He has uh, a little bit of a preview for us of his earnings insight blog that drops tomorrow. So we're going to hit that. Um, but yesterday, man, that was a, a bit of an explosive day. And if you think about, you know, the last month, at least in, in the stock market and I guess in the bond market too, I mean, we've had some really follow moves after we've had Fed speak and after we've had data. And it really feels like investors are pretty fed up with this. And I said, see what I did there with the fed up with this sort of bear market that we've been in in 2022. Thoughts a little bit on the reaction to what Fed Chair Powell said yesterday, because I got to tell you, we were getting off market call as the headlines started to hit and nothing out of the prepared speech looked anything like it, it just didn't diverge much from what we already expected him to say. Yeah. So first, I would start this by um, asking you what it's like to remain bearish when the market rips like that, because you guys yeah. have been cautious all year. I turned cautious in September-ish when my thesis got busted. CPI yeah. came in still hot. Um, we had some other things. Mm -hmm. the, the yield curve inverted a little bit after that. Anyway, now is the time where I'm getting a bunch of shade thrown at me because I continue to be cautious after a big rally like that and like we've seen in the last five to six weeks. What he said yesterday, I think the reason the market got excited was, first and foremost, he basically confirmed that they would downshift in December. Yeah. Again, not new information. Maybe we were speculating that before and then he confirmed it. So, okay, now the market move based on a downshift is out of the way. The other thing that I think people took from that, which I took from it too, is that he talked about risk management and that they are watching the signs of increased risk. And we know that there are increased risks coming out of the economic data. We got some more of that today. Yep. So he acknowledged the fact that the risks of a recession are increasing, the risks of a crack in the economy are increasing. Basically, what I took that as was him saying, look, I'm not going to keep hiking with reckless abandon yeah. if the economy completely falls apart. So it was saying, we're not going to put the economy into a deep and painful recession because we're just focused on inflation. We don't have our heads buried in the sand. That doesn't mean they're going to stop, though. So you're right. The actions haven't really changed. Yeah, it just really felt algo-driven when I looked at the headlines and I looked at what he said and I looked at some of the answers to some of the questions maybe a half an hour after the headlines came out. Um, so the question that you had is how does it feel to remain bearish and have that sort of positioning on a day like yesterday? It doesn't feel great, but I will tell you this, and I think you know this, is that Guy and I in mid-October were very much in the camp. I mean, I, I was out of basically all shorts um, at that point prior to that. It felt like the sentiment was really negative and 
and really investors were hoping for something to happen. And they didn't get that much other than the fact that just a minor turn in sentiment and then investors starting to think about what Powell just confirmed yesterday is was enough to push it up. So here we are now. We have this massive rally. And I'm just going to, this is an homage to Guy Adami here. Let's throw up the Dow Jones Industrial Average. This is an average of 30 <laughs> stocks. It is price weighted. One of the first headlines on facts set yesterday as the as the market closed was that the Dow Jones entered, this is from some newswire, um, a new bull market. So the question here is, uh, are we in a new bull market, Liz, or is it just actually bullshit? And this goes back to the question of like, all right, so you can remain bearish on the economy, but at some point you're going to have to change your moon, uh, your, your, you know, your, your you know, your positioning, at least in the stock market or maybe the bonds. And the one thing I'll say is that I've been right on yields and I've been right on uh, the dollar and I've been right on crude oil. Right now I'm wrong on the stock market. I kind of got in there over the last few days, over the last week or so, and I've been short. So it hurt a lot, but I'll tell you what helped me is the fact that yields continue to come down and my GOVT continues to go up. Yeah. So a few weeks ago on uh, overtime, I talked about buying the 10-year. I talked about buying the two-year last week. Some of that has come to fruition. But as we've talked about on this program, the yields are coming down because fear went up, not necessarily because the Fed is going to suddenly cut rates. And I said yesterday on another program, we can't have it both ways. We can't have a Fed that's going to turn dovish and an economy that stays exactly this strong. It's not going to stay this strong. The only way that they actually act in a dovish manner is if the economy weakens. And we're starting to see that. So I would call bull crap on this rally. Now, what everybody wants us to be able to say is, okay, even if you, if you don't believe in the rally, that means that you think we're going to have new lows. I don't know if we're going to have new lows. I think we're going to have another low. It may not be a new low, but I think that we're going to have one more low in this bottoming process because we're finally getting these last ingredients of the economy coming to fruition. So PMI and contraction. I know we're going to talk about that yeah, in a little yeah. bit. So, but I would I would call bull crap on the rally. You always have to look at what is the longer term trend? The longer term trend is still down and look at the stuff that really rallied in this period. It was everything that had done really poorly up until mid-October. So it was kind of this excitement and as you said before, just kind of exhausted with being negative that we've seen this huge run up, but you can't fight the longer term trend. Yeah, listen, you know, I feel very convicted that the S&P will break lower. It might, listen, let's let's throw up the with the one year chart. We've been tracking it. It got, you know, it stopped to the penny to that downtrend. It got a little bit through that 200 day moving average and, you know, we've been saying over the last couple of days, you know, we're seeing this kind of tightening of this pennant formation here and it's going to break one way or another. I mean, my bet very clearly is it going to break lower, but I still think that yields are going to go lower too. So I have a bit of a barbell um trade on here. So again, you know, what would it take for the S&P to meaningfully break out and retest those kind of August highs, another 100 points or so from here? Okay, we have this jobs report on Friday morning. If we see the unemployment rate tick up, and I know that sounds crappy for the economy, right? But it's the last piece mm-hmm. of the puzzle that the Fed is hoping to happen. Now, I do think it's interesting, and I've been saying this too, maybe it's different this time. Maybe it has to do with weird immigration things. Maybe it has to do with there's just the changing of, you know, uh, of onshoring and deglobalization. Maybe the unemployment rate never 
never goes up meaningfully the way it does prior to the last few recessions or so. And 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 Ch- venture pal kind of hinted to that to some degree. So again, that's a really interesting um, setup for me. But Friday is going to be really important if that data is you know if if the unemployment rate doesn't move higher and it looks like the the jobs market is still really hot. I think you're going to have the S and P kind of retracing a good part of that move from yesterday. Yeah, I would agree with that. And the jolts data came out yesterday. It did come down from the previous month, but it was still above expectations. So I don't expect this jobs report tomorrow to be terribly disappointing. I don't think that we're going to get a big spike in the unemployment rate or a big spike in initial claims until maybe later in December or early January. But looking at just the direction of the market and the level that it's at, as you've said, we've failed a couple times at these levels. And the the economic data is important to watch and just the trajectory of it, right? So we've had leading indicators telling us things for a while. Now, the other thing that I think people need to look at and be mindful of is that near-term forward spread. We've talked about the yields that we talk about pretty often, two-year, 10-year, three-month, 10-year. The near-term forward spread, which is, hang with me here, yeah. the three-month yield now versus the three-month yield 18 months from now, okay? So it's just the expectation, the difference between the two. That spread is inverted more than 25 basis points right now. Yesterday, it was only inverted about six basis points. That is the spread that the Fed watches. So it is no coincidence that Jerome Powell sounded a little bit more cautious and talked about risk management yesterday when the near-term forward spread had actually inverted. But that still means that they need to fight inflation, they need to get it down. And regardless of whether we have a recession or not, I actually think that this will go down in history as the most hotly debated recession ever, because there will still be people that say it didn't count. But regardless of whether we have one or not, the business cycle needs to reset. And that means that demand has to fall and that earnings still have to come down. So I think the market has to follow that to some degree. Yeah, no, I, I I agree with all that, and I think as a strategist, you know, you're going to find pockets of the markets, and we're going to hit some sectors, you know, in the stock market where you can actually kind of maybe reposition long, and you can yeah. kind of you know be underweight other areas, or if you're a trader, you know, look to kind of short that sort of thing. But I just want to hit this really quickly. I thought this tweet was uh, interesting from Carl Quintanilla. Um, he was quoting some some research from BOFA that would be the Bank of America final month of the year performance of the S&P 500 filtered for years when the uh, when it's down 10% or worse um, at the end of November. So if you just go back to 2008, obviously we were in the throes of a financial crisis here, but December um, closed up 1%, but the, the stock market had a horrible year that year. But it was the only year, this is really important, it was the only year during the financial crisis that the S&P 500 declined. Pretty interesting, right? And then if you go back to 2002, you see that we were down 6% in December. It was just a wipeout here and the market didn't make a, it retested the lows um, in March of 2003 or so, but that was kind of it. And then 01, you know, the year prior to that, people were still contemplating whether this was going to be, you know, some sort of protracted bear market in 01. um, And we saw that the S&P rallied about 1% in December. So all all the other data, it's kind of give or take, it's kind of flattish. I'm just curious, thoughts on positioning in December, because my, my two cents is that the higher we rally here is the harder we fall in January or February. 
Yeah, I agree. I actually think that the fall could start in December and it could start right after the Fed meeting and, and when Jerome Powell speaks yeah. uh, December 14th. And remember, we're getting a summary of economic projections at that meeting as well. So uh, I think that you would agree with me that this is more like 2001, 2002 than it is like 2008. Yeah. And a couple things about December in general. Now, if you look at just the, the fourth quarter, so we talk about seasonality a ton. Think about seasonality this way. There are times when the longer term trend flips in October and November. This year was one of those times where you had low volatility stocks underperform, high volatility stocks outperform. Everything that had done poorly throughout the year suddenly started to do well in this rally. So that trend reversed. When that has happened over history in December, it goes back to normal. So that would tell you that in December, if that trend holds, that we should be probably looking at more low volatility coming back into the forefront again. Yeah. The second thing, and I think I've talked about this on here, when you look at retail stocks, I think people would assume that retail typically does well in December because of the holiday season. That's not the case. Retail actually doesn't do very well in December. And another thing about economic data, when you see a savings rate, that is now approaching its all-time low. We're at 2.4% savings rate. Yeah, that throw that consumers, chart, if they could throw that chart up Yeah, there. consumers not saving, yeah. spending a lot, credit card balance is increasing. That's yeah. not great. That's not a great position to be in headed into a holiday season if people get spooked. So yeah. I am not super optimistic that we have a year-end melt-up. I don't think that we're going to have a holiday rally. I'm just going to call it a holiday rally, even though Guy is in here. I don't think that that's necessarily the case. I think that a downturn could start in, in December. All right. So speaking of Guy, I think when you were writing your note that you published this morning <laughs> on the Spotify blog, I mean, you were thinking of crazy Uncle Guy sitting yeah. around the, the, the Christmas dinner table, possibly yeah. at your home back in Wisconsin here, and you're just getting them all tuned up. We're going to have to make sure we clip this and send it to him so he can see this here. But oh, I'll this, make this sure. Is, this is a beauty, okay? I'm just going to say because <laughs> when you have bullet like like titles of some of the some of the data points here is Feliz Navidad. I mean, come <laughs> on, we're talking. It's beginning to look a lot like <laughs> contrast. I mean, this is good stuff here, Liz. So talk to, I know, talk I know. to me a little bit because again, I, I do think it's fascinating. We threw that Dow chart up there before. It's 20% off the lows. It's down about five and a half percent of the year. Again, this is a price weighted index of 30 pretty random stocks, not industrials. So, um, right. you know, why do we quote it every once in a while? Because a lot of people who don't stare at their fact set machines all day long, watching every tick of every stock and every, and, you know, they quote the Dow and they look at the Dow and they think, oh, we're in a new bull market. Are we in a new bull market? No. Um, okay. The other reason, I mean, people love drama. So the Dow is the one that moves in the biggest point amounts every right. day. So it, people just love that drama. Anyway, lens into Liz personally. I love Christmas. I love Christmas music. I know all the words to every Christmas song. Every, I can do the 12 days of Christmas from memory. Anyway, well, hold on. all of and December. You're, also, you're very generous on Christmas. You, you, you got me a, a very nice gift last year, a very nice bottle of scotch. I right? did. I was just saying to my wife last night at dinner, I was like, I got to do something nice for Liz because that was uh, that was something nice. I'm, yeah, I'm I give gifts. I also expect to receive them. All right, well, <laughs> well, well, you got one coming here, and we'll disclose it in in a couple of weeks on Market Call. How's that? All right, Great. start. start perfect, that perfect. Version. Okay, but yeah, about the Dow. Look, yeah, thirty stocks. Also, guys, the biggest stock in that index is a healthcare name. It's a yeah. health insurance company. Yeah. The top five names in the index, nothing in tech. So that's why the Dow has done well. 
when tech has been under pressure and you've in, you're in a year where technology is the most hated sector on valuations, on growth expectations, everything as rates are rising. And then you've got an index that is not heavily weighted in tech. I mean, obviously that's why it's done well. Is it indicative of the U.S. economy? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. So the note this week was really, it wasn't just about the Dow, but it was about the idea that there's these huge spreads between a couple different groups in the market. So that can be broad indices, that can be small versus large, that can be high vol versus low vol. So it hasn't really been just this overarching theme of everything fell this year. Yes, everything fell, but some stuff fell much further than others. And I think that that theme is going to persist into 2023. So this is sort of a preview, kind of setting you up for what my 2023 outlook will look like. But these spreads between certain groups are huge. They're historically huge. And that Jack Frost nipping at the lows is about low volatility stocks. Yeah. Uh, that had been, you know, a lot of people piling into low vol, piling into things like consumer staples and utilities. But you know what? Some of that stuff is now really expensive. So be careful to not pile in and be the last one on the pile, right? Yeah. And then lastly, small caps. Uh, you know, I know I talk about small caps all no, but the time. This is, I'm but never no, no, quit. but this is I'm really important. Quit. And you were just saying yeah. this just a couple minutes ago is like, let's watch different pieces of data. They're going to help inform different sorts of investments or how you may want to rotate into you know other areas of the market. So you're saying that if the June CPI print just above 9%, which was a 40 year high, if that's it, then you want to start looking at small caps. Talk to me about that. That is absolutely right. So We've talked about a couple different things as um, times that could be a catalyst for the market to turn a different direction. A peak in CPI is one of them. Another one is a Fed pivot. If you just look at a peak in CPI historically, so if you go back to this that 19, late 70s, early 80s period, which is what we're looking at on this chart, the CPI peaked at 14.8% in March of 1980. And then the magenta line is small caps, the blue line is large caps. Small caps out for, outperformed handedly after that. They have actually outperformed since that June print of this year. They've done about 200 basis points better than large caps over that period. So that is important to pay attention to. And I think that that could be the beginning of a longer term trend. Now, CPI still has to come down quite a bit. But part of the reason this happens is as the Fed tightens, obviously, you've got a huge dependence on large cap growth names in the large cap index. Small cap isn't getting hit the same way by that. And the sector makeup is just different. You've got a lot of financials in there. You've got a lot of uh, healthcare names in small cap. They're just not quite as sensitive to that downside from rates. And then coming out of a recession, if that's something that we go into, small cap value wins almost every single time. So yeah. make sure that you do not ignore small caps in this case. Yeah, so interestingly enough, you know, a huge rally off that double bottom here. We're right at that downtrend in the Russell 2000, the RTY here. And again, I mean, this is going to trade like the S&P 500. You think about it, the S&P is down about 14.5% of the year. The Russell's down, um, I think, about 16 in, or so. So, you know, the performance is pretty similar. The NASDAQ is still down 26%. But I think the, the one little kind of, um, I guess, uh, note here is that, you know, we're not – 
thinking about the Dow Jones Industrial Average as the stock market, especially when UNH has the weighting that it does. And, you know, another beauty, though, was like, you know, our friends, um, you know, Vinnie Daniel and Porter Collins, mm-hmm. um, the Seawolf guys, we've done pod together with them here. Those guys put on an epic short. When Exxon was taken out of the Dow Jones Industrial Average, I think it was about a year ago, and Salesforce.com was put in, they Ooh. bought Exxon and shorted Salesforce. Is that like wow. an amazing trade? Yeah. Um, or what? And we're going to hit Salesforce in a second because that stock's down more than 10% um, today. But listen, I love your note. We're going to we're gonna wrap it up. We're going to put a bow on it. We're going to send it to the guy, Adami. He's going to get all the puns and then he's going to just kind of bring it next week because um, he's super fired up. All right. So you're talking yeah. about that CPI print. You had a tweet out um, this morning about PMIs. Okay. Yeah. So Let's look at this one because this is really important, right? So this is manufacturing. And and again, like, what are we looking for? And I thought it's interesting for some of the people. I'm sure more people now are watching these Fed chair, you know, um, pressers or these, these interviews than ever have before. I think Powell is a very good communicator, to be very honest with you. And I think he obviously gets things wrong. We all do. He's an economist, right? Does he have a lot of data? Of course, he's got a lot of data. Is it more mission critical than you or me getting things right? Yeah, it is, right? But um, when I look at this sort of data, and, and that again, that he's looking at the same stuff, I look at this contraction and I say, okay, you said this is the lowest since May of 2020. Well, in May of 2020, okay, the stock market started to discount that. So my curious, like, what's your takeaway here? You say it's not bullish for the economy or is it not bullish for the market? Because I'm in the camp. The stock market's likely to retest those October lows in the next few months. And then at some point, I think that the bear market is going to be over here. And then the PMI is dropping below 50 in contraction will be kind of the thing that we're all waiting for. Yeah. Okay. So um, first of all, Jerome Powell, right now his job is to be an economist, but I believe he's a lawyer by training (laughs) and was in capital markets, which makes him one of the first Fed chairs ever uh, who is not a classically trained economist. So I think it actually gives him a better chance to get this right. That's my little soapbox. PMIs, if we can put up the other chart that I have on PMIs, that one. Yes. Okay. So this is PMIs are the bars and then the line is the S&P 500. So I actually think when you look at what happened with PMIs in May of 2020, that was the time that was different, so to speak, because that had happened so quickly and so out of left field. PMIs didn't have a chance to react how they normally would. And the market didn't have a chance to anticipate them. So there's different components of PMIs. The new orders component of PMIs is forward-looking, and that falls into the leading economic indicators Mm -hmm. uh, group. That has been in contraction for a few months. Now you've got the the composite index in contraction, meaning below 50. Generally speaking, the market should follow that. I think it's going to continue to contract. So I actually think it's not bullish for both the economy and the market. And I think that this is the first indicator that we're getting that the economy is feeling the pain. Now, I think we can agree the tech part of the economy has felt the pain. You've got layoffs. There's probably people in the tech industry who feel like we're in a recession right now. But then there's other parts of the country and other industries that feel like things are still really great. Well, if it starts to hit manufacturing, that's when the headlines start of you know big industrial companies going into layoffs. Yep. That's what really starts to scare people. So yep. I think that this is a canary in the coal mine, and it will continue to go down. The market will follow it for that last little low of the cycle. 
Yeah, and I and I guess the point is is like we've been dealing with and and I don't know where it is, but it's somewhere in our notes here, you you use the term disinflation, and so we're going to go from this period where people were obsessed with inflation. And listen, you know, some people felt it in food, and they felt it in gas, and they felt it in in, in rents and stuff like that. But the large part of the economy where they've seen wage inflation, they feel pretty good about their jobs. If you're not in tech, to your point, then maybe you've been weathering this okay because the savings rate back to that chart that you showed that's making new lows, maybe if we can get out of this period, we get out of this kind of economic malaise here, not everyone looks at the stock market as a gauge of kind of the economic health, right, of of the uh, of them and, and the people around them or whatever. And so I don't know. I, I think there's I, I think I think there's a chance, Liz, that we just have a kind of mild recession and we get out of this thing here because Again, we threw $4 trillion at this Black Swan event. And, um, you know, the inflation that we felt, it had to be, you know, it, I mean, I, you know, I don't know why anybody would have suggested that wasn't going to happen. But by the same token, I think we're going to see those numbers come down pretty quickly here. So, um, you know, in the new year, but at some point, the stock market has to kind of scare the you know what out of us before we're not just we're just not bottoming like that, going from four consecutive 75 basis point hikes to a 50. And that was it. Right. Like like lights out. So hey, here's one. And you, you brought this chart. And I thought this was really interesting. So this is Fed funds. And this is going back to, um, I think, when Guy was born. It's 55 <laughs> to 59 was the first. <laughs> was the first um, set of data that you have here all the way to the present. And, yeah. you know, again, if you just look at that from the highs back there, you know, in the 80s, it's upper left, bottom right. We've just bo- broken that downtrend that's been in place for 40 years. We're dealing with 40-year high inflation, right? We're dealing with a Fed's balance sheet that's near $10 trillion and they're having a hard time rolling off. Talk to me about what this means to you about the S&P 500 drawdowns and how they correlate to these cycles. Yeah, and this is this is good after yesterday's action. We keep acting like a pivot is going to be bullish for stocks, but in reality, the Fed pivot usually comes right before another drawdown. Now, there's been a couple times where that hasn't been the case, or maybe a drawdown has happened without a pivot, but a pivot is not usually a good indication. So by the time they say we're going to cut rates or we're going to pause or we went too far or whatever the statement ends up being, that's usually because the economy has weakened to a point that scared them or the market has weakened to a point that scared them because financial mm-hmm. conditions got way too tight, something along those lines. So that they pivot because something broke before that. So a pivot is not bullish for stocks. A pivot the reason that we would get a pivot out of them, I do not think is bullish. And this was just to illustrate that. So all those dotted lines are when we got pivots. And you can see that almost every single time afterwards, there's a pretty big drop in the blue line, which is a drawdown on the S&P. Be careful about your timing. Yeah, no, no doubt about. I mean, that that makes um, perfect sense. And then there's a couple other things that I think are worth noting here before we get out of here. You know, Costco, um, one of the largest retailers in this country, here, you know, down six and a half percent. Same store sales disappointment. There were a couple other metrics that were a bit softer here. You know, you look at that chart, and you know, again, if you were like looking for, you know, I guess stocks or companies that might lead us out of a recession, it might be you know a company like this that has probably benefited from a trade down from consumers, a higher end consumer 
once they get them and they get them hooked there and they have that that kind of membership model and everything like that, you think that they should benefit on the way out. And I just think it's interesting to see investor reaction to the data. You know, we've gone from a thing where people are willing to give the benefit of doubt for companies like this that have these sorts of models. And you know what I mean? Like, but it always trade at a fat premium. So my question to you is without commenting on Costco individually, does it say more to you that investors are still pretty shy about some of these rich valuations? And there's probably some more wood to chop in some of these areas that have always been given a pass because they're best in breed in their area. You know what I mean? So the slightest you know, hiccup and it's kind of shoot first, ask questions later. That leads yeah. me to believe that we're not done yet on the downside because we need to get the, some of these cult stocks. They need to be taken out to the woodshed. Yeah, I agree. Well, and look, some of these stocks, there's a few others that I could, I would put into this category, which I can't name, but some of them that are best in breed or that are always going to be high quality, or maybe they've got a really good reoccurring revenue stream that we know is sticky. They're okay to have in the portfolio. They're okay to keep. Are they, are they okay to expect a lot from in 2023 or at least the first half of 2023? Probably not. Are they going to be the ones that produce the most alpha in your portfolio? Probably not. But should you exit them and run for the hills? No, they're good. They're good kind of staples in the portfolio. I don't mean that from consumer staples, but here's the other thing I would say. And I just used this as my final trade on halftime. I've never done this before. I did a sell instead of a buy. And I did a sell on consumer discretionary Wow! because I know, I know it scared me too, but sell on consumer discretionary because of all these things that we just talked about savings rates. So low we're in a period where retail stocks usually don't do very well. Retail is more than half of the consumer discretionary sector. And we're at a point, if we have another drawdown in the market, I think it's going to be because people finally say, "Uh Oh, the consumer isn't holding up as well as we thought they were. So people are going to have to pull back on their spending. I think there's going to be job losses across more sectors than tech, and that'll be spooky, especially for consumer discretionary stocks, which fall into that growth camp. Yeah, so they just threw up the XLY. That's the ETF that tracks the space. And I yep. just say, that, you know, I'm a huge fan of, of, of sector ETFs, um, but I always like to look and see what makes them up. And, and so I'm not fans of some and I'm fans of others. And so here's an example where Amazon is nearly 19% of the XLY. Tesla is the second largest holding at 15.5% and Home Depot at 5.5%. So the point here is that you better have a view on Amazon and Tesla if you are going to be expressing a directional view in the XLY, right? So I just want to be really clear about that um, on that one, because again, you know, Amazon and Tesla are kind of very volatile stocks. And then if you look at Home Depot, McDonald's, Nike, Lowe's, those are the next ones there. And they're all kind of mid single digit percentages. All right, before we get out of here, I think- Hold on, one last last point I want to make on consumer discretion. Another reason for it, it's trading at 23.2 times forward earnings. The index, although I think overvalued right now, is only at 17.8. It's still the most, it's the second most expensive sector in the index. And this is a time when you still want to pay attention to valuation. So that's it. I'm done. All right. Well, listen, Guy usually gets very excited, but there's two parts that he gets really excited about on Thursdays. It's when we bring in LY from SoFi, that's one. And then the second (laughs) one is when we preview John Butters. Okay, you know him. He's the senior earnings analyst over there at at FactSet here. And he writes the Earnings Insight blog. It drops every Friday. We get a preview of it on Thursdays. We talk about it here. This one's going to be, I think, the most important determinant of when the stock market bottoms and how it bottoms. And it really 
really has to do with S&P 500 um, estimates for 2023, right? So we have a month left of this year. We've seen estimates come down. John's report tomorrow that's coming out is saying the bottoms up EPS estimate for the S&P 500 for calendar year 2023 is 232.35. I think you and I would agree that's still way too high. Despite the recent decline in the estimate, this number would still mark a new record high for EPS for the index. And this is really important. Over the past 25 years, analysts have overestimated the actual EPS number by 7% on an average one year in advance. Um, so, you know, I think this is interesting. I think we could both agree that the estimates for 2023 are going to come down. It's just how quickly they come down and, and where the stock market is, where the S&P 500 is when they start to come down. Because again, I'd love to see, you know, a couple really big negative pre-announcements, maybe some by an Apple or some of the huge multinationals, right? Get analysts to lower their estimates on some of these individual names, get strategists to lower the numbers on the broad index, have it low enough where by the end of the year, if we are in recovery mode, that they can start to beat. That's how the market has to bottom early next year. Yeah, I think that earnings, maybe they don't have to come down to normal recessionary levels, meaning they don't have to be revised down 15 to 20% from their highs. But I do think that 2023 earnings need to show a contraction over 2022 earnings. And we're not quite there yet. We're getting closer, but we're not quite there yet. Something that I want people to be aware of too, though, even if we make a new low in the S&P, we probably don't make a new low in the P.E., because if earnings estimates are coming down, the PE can still stay above. So I think it hit somewhere in the 15.3 camp uh, at the last low in October. It doesn't necessarily have to get back down there, even if the S&P falls further. So keep that in mind. But I do think we have to get to a contraction 2023 over 2020. So that's a huge point. Okay. So let's just say 15 was the low in October when the S&P was at its lows. It was down 25% or so from its highs. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so let's just say that that 232 number, you you multiply that times 15 and you basically get 3,500. Well, you see where we are. We're above 4,000 right now. So could we have another retest? Of course we could. Then if you were to say, okay, this is what Butters is also saying, that that average 7% overestimation, right? So let's say take off 7% of that 232 number, it gets you to 216. Multiply that times 15, it gets you to 3250, okay? Mm-hmm. So so again, you know, I, I think that you have to think about, we will get back towards that trough multiple. And if the estimates do come down, you're going to have a lower S&P. We're going to retest those lows. Okay. All right. That's it. I think you and I we did our job here, Liz. You you kind of so. went. You were you were puntastic. Um, <laughs> I I am. Um, you know, this was meant to be you and Guy. I know Guy's gonna be very disappointed. You're probably disappointed to see me pop up. No, here. I love you. Oh, no, this is great. We, and we got a lot more content out than Guy and I usually get out. Well, there you go. I mean, listen, we I, and, and I apologize. We have a ton of comments and I really appreciate it. Um, we just had a lot of stuff to get through today um, and we wanted to do it. We wanted to hit Butters. We wanted to hit Liz, uh, her note here. So Liz, thanks for doing this with me, Mano Imano here. That's going to do it for today's market call. Thanks to our sponsors, FactSet and SoFi for bringing you today's program. If you like what you see, be sure to like the video. Like it, guys. Go into your YouTube or your your Twitter and like it um, and subscribe to the Risk Reversal Media YouTube page. You'll get all of our latest content. Guy and I will be back on Monday at 1 p.m. We will be with Carter Braxtonworth of Worth Charting. So Liz, thanks so much. Thanks, SoFi. Thanks, FactSet. Have a great weekend, and we'll see you next week.